0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to another Robcast. This is episode 200, which I can't say without laughing, 200 of these episodes. And I was thinking, to mark the 200th episode, I was wondering what kind of rhetorical pyrotechnics could I rustle up for the occasion, Uh, but then I realized... I've never told uh, the story of how this Robcast got started. I've never done an episode about all the other episodes. Uh, Essentially, I haven't given you the backstory on why um, I even started this in the first place. What I wanna do in in this episode is take you back to 2015, January of 2015. Actually, I wanna go a little bit before that to 2014 and give you a bit of a backstory on what was happening, or <laughs> more specifically, what wasn't happening and how this all came to be. But before we do that, I uh, have a couple new things I want to tell you about. First off, my new project, Blood, Guts, and Fire, the Gospel According to Leviticus, is now out. Or I should say the first part is now out. Uh, I've been working on a commentary on the book of Leviticus, it's an, it's an audio commentary. So you download it, and I walk you through the book of Leviticus chapter by chapter by chapter. If you've read my book, What is the Bible? Um, and you thought, well, that's nice, but what about like a book, you know, like Leviticus? What could possibly be in that book? Um, that's what Blood, Guts, and Fire is all about. And I've noticed at some level, I mean, I've been fascinated with the book of Leviticus for 20 years. But I've noticed how often people will slag the Bible as being barbaric, primitive, outdated, uh, and especially a book like Leviticus, which is sort of takes all the questions and protests and skepticism people have about the Bible and sort of pushes all that to its extreme edges. Um, oftentimes, the book of Leviticus is sort of held up as like, see, why? what does this have to say to us? But what I've also noticed, as a lot of people don't know, the book of Leviticus is about how to care for the earth— how to live at peace with other people, how uh, to live with intention. Um, justice is a major theme. Now, now, obviously, there are all sorts of ancient, what appear to our modern sensibilities, very primitive and exclusionary ideas in there. So what I do in Blood, Guts, and Fire is simply take you through and show you the world at that time and perhaps what uh, this text was doing and saying to people in that time at that time place. And honestly, I hope it blows your mind. (laughs) So, the first part is chapters 1 through 7, and then there will obviously be other parts to follow, but I take you chapter by chapter through this fascinating, old, mysterious, uh, and subversively inspiring book called Leviticus. So, Blood, Guts, and Fire, the Gospel According to Leviticus, is now available Um, at my site, robbell.com. And then secondly, oh, this gives me so much joy to tell you, new tickets are now up for the next leg of the Holy Shift Tour. Uh, I'm about to go, the end of this month, we'll go to UK and Ireland for England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales leg of the Holy Shift Tour, and those tickets are at greenbelt.org. And all of you in the UK and Ireland, I'm coming your way soon. And then August, tickets are now up. Uh, The Holy Shift Tour will uh, do a night in Brazil. So I have been wanting to go to Brazil for a long time, and it's happening the beginning of August. So Brazil friends, I am coming your way. And then end of August, we'll start the fall leg of the Holy Shift Tour. So uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, Detroit, Michigan, Toronto, Cleveland, Columbus, that's Ohio. I'm talking to you. Um, Pittsburgh, Nashville, Atlanta, Denver, and the tour, will finish the Holy Shift tour December 1st at the Ace Hotel here in downtown Los Angeles, California. And uh, if you would have told me that this tour would end at the Ace Hotel, I would have been like, that's awesome. It's this iconic venue right down in the heart of downtown LA, and that's where it'll all end up. So all those tickets are now up, and obviously, Robcast friends, I'd love to see you at at those tour stops. But now today, let's do an episode about all these other episodes. Because in 2014... I had a television show. Um, And you know what the television show was called? (laughs) It was called The Rob Bell Show. I know. You're wondering where we got the title. Um, And I had signed this deal, and generally you make a pilot episode, the first episode, and then a network decides whether or not they're going to make more. Um, But in 2014, the network uh, that I had signed the deal with had said, we're so excited about this, we're going to commit to a first season right now, um, which is very unusual, very rare, and very exciting at the time. And uh, I had, I had had sort of a, a deep desire to see if what I do, could we capture something for television that um, would work. And we had shot uh, the first two episodes. And so there was great excitement as 2014 ended because we were going to make the rest of season one and it was going to go to air and uh, who knows where that was going to lead. And then uh, the end of November, Kristen and I were at a party um, drinking very expensive tequila shots with the head of the network. And I'll never forget, he uh, spoke to Kristen and I very passionately about they were so excited he said we're so excited about the show we think it's going to break new ground we're totally committed we realize that whenever you're innovating and breaking new ground it may take a while and we just want you to know we're in it for the long haul whatever it takes we think what you're doing is so fresh and revolutionary and we're just going to see where it goes and together we're going to figure this out and Chris and i like we toasted and it was like man 2015 this is going to be awesome and so uh, I would say like first, second week of no, of January, when you're sort of ready, f- people are back from holidays and you're sort of ready for the emails to start flying. You know that feeling like a new year or a new school year after the summer, after holidays? There's that sense of like the emails start coming with, okay, we're going to have this meeting and we're going to do this conference call or we're going to do this um, creative session. And, and none of those emails were coming. And I remember uh, my main contact at the network saying like, Hey, I'm ready to go. What, uh, what's the next step? And I remember at one point being told like, Hey, we're, we're all on board. We're just, we can't just trying to figure out the recipe exactly on your show. And it's like, you know, that feeling when something within you, it's like your brain is a step behind your body or your heart, maybe it's your soul that's already going, uh, hey, hey, Rob. (laughs) It's like the soul going, hey, Rob, um, this isn't going forward like you think it's going to go forward. You know what I'm saying? Um, And the emails stopped coming. And uh, a friend of mine had said to me a couple years before that, he had said to me, you will never get a no. He he had been in the industry f- for a long time, like 30 years. And he said to me, you'll never get a no. No one wants to give no's. No one's going to give you a no to your face on a project. He says, you just won't get a yes for a long time, <laughs> which turned out to be perfectly true. Um, and it, by the end of January, uh, there was sort of that realization, oh, yeah, apparently, apparently this isn't going to happen. And then of course there was that phone call from the agent who's like, yep. He said, I just talked to the network and, uh, the whole, I think he said the whole deal is going away, (laughs) which in many ways, the phone call was just the confirmation of what at some level I already know. I already knew. Now, uh, When you get a chance to have your own television show, um, you're all in. Like, you're throwing yourself into it. So, 2015, there was nothing on the calendar. Like, my calendar was empty. It was like those westerns where that sagebrush sort of blows through the middle of town. It was just big, wide-open spaces because I didn't want to all of a sudden get this opportunity to, to make something like this, and then and then have to say, well, you know, I can't do it here, I can't do it there, I'm really busy in March, that sort of thing. I wanted to be all in. But uh, by the mid-January, mid-January, somewhere in there, uh, there was no television show, and there was a big, wide-open calendar, and there was no... Tour scheduled. There were no events scheduled. There was no book coming out that year, and I had one of those low-grade shivers. You know what I'm talking about? Like a controlled panic of, "Oh, uh, I need to do something here." Um, this that I I was not expecting this. Uh, by the way. Let's talk about bitterness for a moment. Um, Somebody somewhere in an office looked at the numbers, and maybe it was around a conference table, or maybe it was in a meeting of just a few people, and was like, hey, you know what, that Rob Bell show, that's not going to be a good move for us. So somebody just made a straightforward television business decision. It's really, really important that you don't let bitterness uh, get a hold of you. The number of people you meet in the course of life who are bitter about something, sometimes from a while ago, Um, here's the thing about bitterness. You can't give other people that much power and control over your joy. There's this uh, great line in the New Testament about not letting a root of bitterness take hold. And then what's interesting is the verse says, essentially, because it will defile those around you. So it's interesting, the writer links, first off, bitterness as a root, meaning all sorts of things flow from bitterness. Like if you leave bitterness unattended, it becomes a root for a number of other destructive impulses and sentiments. But then uh, what I think even more fascinating is when the writer talks about the root of bitterness, the root of bitterness is something that then defiles, is the word actually, others. It's this idea of somebody who's filled with bitterness. There's no way it doesn't spill over into the lives of those around them. And the idea of defiling is somebody has some level of joy, some level of hope, some level of optimism, and it's easy for the bitterness of another to be like a dark cloud over their Thrill and joy and positivity. Bitterness spreads. It's not just a root, it's not just its depth, but it's its breadth. So when you find yourself flirting with bitterness, you got to get that out, name it, get to the facts, and then move on. So I tell you this story about my TV show being canceled with no bitterness. Somebody somewhere made a decision, right? It's like, get over it, move on. And what I knew in that moment was, oh, we have a bit of a situation here. We have a wide open 2015 and uh, there was a whole massive amount of work I thought I was supposed to be doing and an idea I'd been carrying around for several years and now that particular expression of it is gone, which is really, really huge to remember. Going back to you cannot give other people too much control or power over your joy. So that particular expression that had manifest itself in this particular contract with a television network was done. And I was looking at a wide-open 2015, and we need to do something. Uh, And I remember a friend of mine saying right around that time, you know... Uh, you should do a podcast. Shout out to Dan Klein right here, by the way. We were sitting on the roof, uh, Dan Klein and Stratton. We were sitting on the roof of a hotel looking out at the ocean. Um, have, there's a restaurant, by the way, on the roof of that hotel. We weren't just on the roof of the hotel. Um, and we were eating, and, and that was the idea that you, what, what about a podcast? But I remember thinking wait what like i would like talk into a microphone in my house to like nobody in particular but to people who i didn't know who what it just seemed like the oddest idea and honestly and and this is the, you just have to own your oddness you know what i'm saying like how's that by the way that's there you go there's a phrase own your oddness um i didn't like the word podcast <laughs> Certain things make me aesthetically just drive me mad. Like things have to be right aesthetically, or I just sort of like, nope, I'm out. Um, but I remember I didn't like the word podcast. I was like, I'm not gonna be discussing Star Wars. That's sort of in my in, in my mind at some level. Um, you know what I mean? I'm not gonna be discussing old episodes of The Simpsons, uh, you know, or telling you what I think of Marvel movies. Or I don't know what I had in my head about a pod. I didn't like the word. Um, but what's interesting is... <laughs> If you don't like something, just change it. It's like, I don't like podcasts. I was like, well, if I had a podcast, I'd call it a Robcast. Um, and suddenly, <laughs> this is so ridiculous, but it's important to tell these stories. As soon as I was like, but if I called it a Robcast, oh, okay. Yeah, I could, I, I might, I, I might, try that. <laughs> Literally changing the words was like, oh, gave me the green light. So I remembered that my son, um, one of my boys had had a brief career as a rapper and I remember saying to him, "Do you um, do you still have that mic that you use when you were recording in your room?" And he's like, "Yeah." And and I literally had to look under his bed. It was like behind some shoes. Um, there was a box, and it had a bunch of wires and stuff in it. And there was this beaten up mic that I think had cost sixty dollars, and it had some dents in it. Um, and I plugged it into my laptop because I had been told that you could do you could record on QuickTime. And QuickTime, from what I gathered, all you had to do was push a a red, like tap a red button on your laptop screen. And I was like, that sounds like something I could manage because I am seriously technologically challenged, to say the least. Um, And so I plugged the mic in and I talked about, uh, I did that first episode but it was so odd. It was so strange. It was like, I'm, I'm I'm, in this room with the door closed talking to, I don't, who am I talking to? Um, and it wasn't just audience. It wasn't just, who am I talking to? Um, but it had this odd energetic thing. Because I wasn't like on a stage talking to a room full of people, at which point you sort of assume that size because you there's an energetic flow that needs to go to the back walls. But if you do that, like on a podcast, like, hey, what's going on? Not that I would do that in a room anyway. But like, if you sort of overhype, if there's too much energy, that, that's weird because you're all alone in a room. But if you also like under energetically move it, like if it would have been like, hello, how you guys doing? It's Rob here, and it's just kind of, it's, you know, it's a Thursday afternoon. That's not. So it was like even trying to figure out where does this fit? Like, what is the emotional resonance of this? This is the thing about new mediums. You may have spent years in one particular medium, but then you move over just slightly. You've always taught fourth graders. Now you're teaching first graders. You've always worked with senior citizens. Now you're working with college students. You've always sold to distributors. And now you're selling to small business owners, whatever it is. Sometimes just shifting over one medium, everything changes. And so oftentimes, you'll notice people will shift over just slightly in what they're doing, assuming that everything that worked in the other bandwidth will work in this one but it doesn't. You have to respect the mediums. If you're a sculptor and you decide to be an oil, and, you, and you, then you start working as an oil painter, there are a number of skills that transfer, but you still enter in as a student to this particular medium. So at first it was like, this should be pretty easy. This is not easy. This is like difficult. I'm trying to figure out all of the subtleties of this particular medium and what i noticed right away is i would record one of those first few episodes and like one of my kids would interrupt me um they'd want like car keys or food or have a question about something and i would just answer them and then keep talking about whatever i was talking about partly because stopping and then starting a new one was too complicated for me technologically challenged but also um i was like well you know, that's just that's just what happened while I was making this episode. But then I noticed right away that people I would I'd be out somewhere and somebody would say, Hey, I've been listening to the Robcast. I love it when your son interrupted you an in episode, whatever it was. That was so cool. And it was suddenly like, wait, all of the dog barking, all of the weird interruptions and quirks were somehow meaningful to people. And by people, I mean you all. And it was almost like this particular medium, the less produced, the better, at least from my perspective. Um, Because I, I literally was sitting at my desk telling you what I'd learned or what I'd noticed over the years. There was something about the rawness and directness of it that demanded less production like if i were normally like obviously a tour or normally like i did a largo show a couple nights ago that's like memorized backwards and forwards because um that's part of giving the gift is you do the work so that you're you're ready to go and but this i noticed um even now like my ever-present notebook can you hear the pages there um there was something about it where almost like I'm working it out in real time and sharing with you what I'm seeing and feeling and learning. And then as I began to reflect on that, it was like, oh, but that's actually how it is. The, anybody who claims to be a teacher, you're a student before you're anything else. And so this medium, this podcast, this Robcast medium... <laughs> actually highlights what is true and has been true the whole time, which is everybody, even the experts and the people who hold themselves up as sort of ultimate authority, they're just working it out in real time. Get back to them in a year and see where they're at. And that this particular way of doing it actually got closer to how it really is. We're learning things, we're growing, we're noticing things. And I noticed that uh, when I brought it to you as fresh and alive and new as it is, there was an extra sort of resonance and energy to that. And that this funky medium of sitting here at my desk with the microphone, captures that in some interesting way. Now, you don't know what's going to connect or what's going to work. If you would have told me that there would be, when I started this, that there would be 200 episodes by 2018, I would have laughed in your face. Like, come on. It's like you're just trying this partly because the calendar was wide open, there was a low-grade terror within me, and I had this, well, what do I do? Well, what I do, what I've been doing for years is sermons. Well, then let's start doing sermons in the most immediate way possible. Let's see where it goes. I had absolutely no idea this would become what it's become. And this is interesting because... uh, Like, having now done publishing things for a number of years, uh, 12 years, 13 years, 14 years of publishing things, um, you don't know. Like, you can ask editors, people who run publishing imprints... I was asking an editor recently, can you tell me about books that you thought were going to be huge that weren't? And can you tell me about books that you never thought were going to be big that ended up being big? And he like, absolutely. And then proceeded to list all of the surprises. Because even the experts are dealing in probabilities. And this is really, really important to understand. Even the experts have probabilities they might have higher batting averages than other people but when you're making things when you're starting things launching things creating things even the experts at the end of the day are hoping are educated guessing i had no idea that this funky odd talking into a mic uh Was going to lead to what it's led to. By the way, I can prove this. uh, Last fall, yes, last fall, um, I released a hardcover copy of my novel, Millones Cajones, which brings me great joy to say and brought me great joy to write. But um, do you know how many boxes of Millones Cajones are in a gathering dust? in a warehouse somewhere in southern california because no one wanted them <laughs> that is all part of it sometimes you swing and you miss <laughs> and then other times you start talking into an old mic that you found under your son's bed and it connects you just don't know this works on a large scale this works on a i mentioned this week's largo show i I uh, did this new show called An Introduction to Joy. And even just a couple of days ago, standing up there taking people through it, and it was some of it was old bits and some of it was new bits. It felt like it was a duct taped thing, this new show, and, and learning in the moment what seemed to be connecting and what sort of like, eh, I probably can leave that part out for the next round. Uh, that's just. How it works? You don't know what's going to connect. So, so when people ask questions like, "Well, where's it going to lead?" I don't know. Or, "What will I get out of it?" I don't know. Other than the joy of being in the game, um, I have no idea. Or, especially when people charge into something with, "Well, you know, well, how much money I'm going to make on this?" Uh, I don't know. <laughs> no idea. It might actually. Obviously, I don't even know how to put a podcast on iTunes. Somebody, I have to have somebody sort that out for me, and then somebody has to listen to make sure that it all holds together and makes sense. Like, this podcast has been costing from day one. When people are like, you know what podcast is free? For you. <laughs> Not for me. Uh, so, you, yeah, there's like cost up front. So oftentimes I've, I've observed people are charging into something, and they're asking all the wrong questions. How do I know for sure that this is going to work? You don't. Um, Well, what guarantees do I have that I won't lose a bunch of money, waste a bunch of time, have nobody understand it? You don't get any of those. You, you, You don't get any of those sort of guarantee. The soul couldn't care less about guarantees. The soul wants to participate wants to be in the game. So what you do is you make whatever crap version you can. It's not about guarantees. It's not about iron clamp proof. It's not about how much profit or benefit there's going to be at first in most ventures or what you're going to get. These are not the questions. The question is, is there something within me that is demanding expression and action, and if I am not faithful to it, something within me will die. That's the question. What is this voice, nudge, leaning, call? What is this question that won't go away? What is this desire that haunts me day after day? What is this I always lean in when that subject comes up. What is this anger about that injustice or that need that hasn't been met that is speaking to me? It's telling maybe somebody should do something about that. The somebody might be you. These are the questions you ask. What is the thing that gets me up in the morning with a sense of something's not right here? Yeah, you follow that because you deal with that. That's how you're fully alive. Yeah, so you make you make whatever version you can. You just make it and you'll learn so much. You'll learn so much. I have observed more people waiting for other people to green light their desire and soul and heart and questions. They're waiting for someone to recognize their genius. They're waiting for someone to give them permission Um, If you're waiting for someone to recognize your genius, you may be waiting a long time. And if you're waiting for someone to give you permission, you're waiting for something that you already have. Yeah, yeah. The number of people I have observed who are waiting for somebody else, when once again, you cannot give other people that kind of power and control over your joy or sometimes people are waiting for validation. They have something within them. They don't quite know what it is. And so they're like articulating little bits and pieces of it, hoping that other people will give them all sorts of validation when they're not even quite clear what it is within themselves. How can somebody else validate something when you aren't even sure what it is? That's why you work it out. That's why you do the crap version (laughs) You just take whatever step is the next step, and you learn so much. By the way, speaking of validation, uh, number of oh, quite a while ago, one of my books, uh, the editor sent an early draft of the book to a hero of mine, and I didn't know the editor was going to do this. I had never done like blurbs or endorsements, and this was a number of books in the editor sent, I want to say a second draft of the book, which is early in the book writing process, um, had sent the draft to a hero of mine for an endorsement, like a blurb, you know, like like a thing on the back of the book. And I didn't know this. But then one day I got an email from my editor, and my editor was forwarding me an email, and my editor just said, uh, heads up, um, and had, a, had like a kind of a cryptic comment. I was like, I wonder what this is. So I read down and I see this an email to my editor from, and I see the email and the name. I'm like, whoa, oh my word, this is one of my heroes. So it's, it's this person that I greatly admired responding to my editor about an early draft of my book. And the email, it was like maybe five paragraphs. He shredded my book, just destroyed it, including paragraph three, first sentence, not that I remember, (laughs) paragraph three, first sentence, this book makes me sad, (laughs) and then another swing, and then a jab, and then a hook, and then a flurry of punches. It was such an epic takedown. Um, and I remember reading it and just uh, it's like your whole it's like my whole body heated up. I don't know how how, do you, how you respond when things take a turn for the worse. Um, it's like a, you get like a little dizzy, but you're a little nauseous. And I remember getting up and taking a lap through the house, sitting back down at my desk, reading it again, getting some more fresh air, reading it again. Uh, and interesting enough, by probably the fifth reading, It's like I had to work through all those feelings in order to get to like the fifth reading of the email when I began to realize, oh, wait, 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 that whole paragraph is a critique of something. That's a misunderstanding of what I was even saying. Okay. Okay. Oh, that paragraph. Well, I could just change that. That's a good critique. I could just change that in the book. And then I remember one of the, one of the things was like, oh, wait, that's not even about me. That's about, that's his stuff, not mine. And it's like, as I, by the way, I should do a whole episode on that email because it's so instructive on the nature of how to deal with criticism. Nevertheless, I remember as like, I sort of worked through my feelings of shock and terror (laughs) and, uh, humiliation. I remember as I sort of began to get to the other side, realizing, oh, uh, Not everybody that you want to validate you is going to validate you. So can you keep going? Do you believe in what you're doing? Or is your work based on the approval and validation of people? And sometimes what happens is you don't get that validation as a way of, it's almost like it clears out the soul and it brings you back to that first place of, this is who I am, this is what I'm doing, everyone is my teacher, thank you for the critique, I'll take the parts of the critique that are helpful and make it an even better book, and the rest of it, I will simply set aside. Now, I made that sound really clinical, and easy. It's not. It takes forever. But if you are waiting for the validation of others, family, friends, mentors, heroes, uh, you might not get it. That's just how it is. You might not get it. And yet, there's something within you that's demanding expression. There's a question that you have to answer because it's somehow tied up in the fullness of life flowing through you. And so uh, I started talking into a mic in a room in my house, and that led to an episode two, and that led to an episode three, and you had no idea where it was going. And what happened over the past couple of years is in some ways it became the new center uh, of my work. It, it It oddly became like a weekly groove, a weekly discipline. Like, oh, I'm, I'm always working on a Robcast sermon. It's become like a part of how I live my life. A couple of thoughts here at the end. First, the secret to the whole thing is the next step. And the people who appear like they figured something out like they're thriving, like they somehow decoded or hacked the system. They're simply the ones who figured out that the secret is the next step. And they figured out that you make whatever version you can. You, uh, you take whatever step you can. And the reason why this is so vitally important to the creative process, which is your life, is that you never know what one step will appear small, trivial, and insignificant, but will actually unlock untold steps down the way. You never know which one it will be. If you would have told me, oh yeah, there's a $60 mic under your son's bed, plug that into QuickTime and start talking, I would have been like, are you kidding me? Because I just came from a television set where I don't know how much money was being spent in order to broadcast the Rob Bell show, if you would have told me that the really interesting quantum leap forward in the work that I get to do in the world would not come from a television show on a network, but would come from plugging in my son's old microphone. I would have been like, that's just upside down enough to be divine. (laughs) (laughs) that's just poetic enough to be true. (laughs) But I wouldn't have believed you at first. Do you see what I'm talking about? You never know the giant big thing this person is waiting for. That might be seven steps away, and the first six steps will be utterly absurd. They'll, They'll appear like, what? Don't waste my time with that step. And yet... It's as if the divine, the universe, source, however you want to say it, it's as if spirit says, how could you ever be entrusted with this big, giant thing you claim you want to do when it's beneath you to do this obvious little step over in the corner that has no guarantees attached to it? and no outcomes, and maybe even no benefits. You see what I'm saying here? This is the the secret to the whole thing is the next step. There's this great line uh, in the scriptures about uh, the divine word is like a lamp to our feet. Well, a flashlight shines way ahead. You can see 20 steps with a flashlight, but a lamp? A lamp can show you, what, the next step? Maybe a step and a half? You can look back and see a step behind where you just were. A lamp just gives you enough light to take the next step or two. Yeah, that's generally how spirit works, is why would we ever give you the whole thing? You might really mess it up. Tell you what, tell you what, we'll give you, we'll point to like something really straightforward and obvious and simple. And you do that. And then after that, will probably be another very seemingly insignificant thing. And just do that. Just do that. And just do the crap version of whatever version you can do of that. Yeah. Yeah. And then we'll see. We'll see. And then one day you wake up and there's 200 episodes. That's been my experience. That's how it works. And and the reason why that step can be so hard, every single one of you are like, yeah, that's nice. But the steps, like that step can be incredibly hard. It's because... When you take that first step, you make that phone call, you enroll, you enlist, you save, you spend, whatever that looks like. You make contact, you set up that meeting, whatever, you type that first paragraph, whatever it is. The reason why that can seem like such an insignificant thing, and yet why haven't you done it, is because when you do take that step, you're shifting into a different mode. And modes, modes are significant why uh, spiritual writers often talk about different modes is you're standing at a distance from your life. Um, And then you take what will seem to somebody else like a completely insignificant step, but to you, it's like moving a mountain. It's because you switched over. You're no longer a spectator. You're a participant. You're no longer watching. You're now in the game And that's why these little steps can sometimes feel so insanely difficult is because you're shifting into a whole new mode of being. You never know what one step will actually be unlocking a whole new world of things. And this is what happened to me. As I started making these Robcast episodes and discovering that there were people out there, the people of course being you (laughs) and realizing, well, actually the thing I love more than anything is touring. Like going to a city and to some club or theater and there's a room full of people and I get to go out and talk to them, that's the best. But I was a bit gun shy in 2015, early 2015 of touring because the last touring I'd done didn't go well. People didn't show up. A number of us, including me, lost all sorts of money um, for a number of reasons. But something once this Robcast got rolling, it was like a it was like you know it's called a second naivete. So when you're doing something you've done before, but you're but the spirit you're doing it with is like you doing it for the first time. That's what you want, by the way, is you want that sense that sense of, oh, this is, it's like being born from above essentially. And uh, so January, February, we got into, probably hit 10 episodes, some, right in those, right in there, it was like, well, we are st- it feels like we're starting over. Um, and it feels like the next thing to do would be to go out and talk to all these people who are listening to this Robcast. But I remember thinking, oh, but touring, that's so risky. Like to this day, like when you put tickets up, oh man, having put tickets up and have, and people don't get them and you're left with like, whew, uh, yeah, that's, but I, I, I was honestly gun shy of it and yet, what do you do but go back out? And I had had this idea for everything is spiritual too and uh, so I thought, well, let's, let's go back out and try touring again. Um, and so we went back out and we're touring. And he, on that tour, I'll never forget a couple different promoters' tickets weren't selling and they wanted to cancel. Um, and we're already like five states from home and um, of, uh, a gig three states away. The promoters saying, People just aren't buying these tickets. I, th- I would like to cancel. And I'm, by the way, Kristen Bell during those moments was like, No way. We are going to that city. That's the itinerary. We're doing it. No way are we turning around. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Yeah, but even that tour in 2015 was like, that, was, that got rough. There was a number of cities where it was like, whew, man, this is like starting over. This is, yeah, that's how it is, how it is. You never know that one step of starting the Robcast then was like, well let's keep going. Let's, let's get back in that. But that's going to, that's going to, who knows, there's all sorts of risks, very real, by the way, risks attached to that. Well, of course, what else are we going to do? Not keep going forward? Come on. And so we kept going. Uh, And now we're here. And whoever could have seen all this coming. So this leads to, uh, I guess that's a third, is that a third point? Those of you keeping track at home it's, it seems uh, in the air now, whether it's a political thing or an economic thing or an earth care thing, it seems in the air right now to question the overall story and the direction of it and the trajectory of it. Uh, are things getting worse? Um, that's, a, that's a question you hear. People talk about just how messed up everything is. Uh, lots and lots of despair in the air lots of big questions about who's even running the show, which are all very understandable in light of the things we see happening around us. But the great Dorothy Day said, how can we be hopeless? There's too much work to do. How could we ever be hopeless? There's too much work to do. So at some level... The answer to all those questions about, is it getting worse? How bad is it? Are we, are we really truly hosed here? Are we really in trouble? Um, you're the answer. We're the answer. The answer is how you live your life. That's, that's the answer. By the way, it's, I, I wouldn't advise going around and saying to people, you know what? I'm the answer, and you can be too. Probably ought to back off of that. But at some level, how you live your life. What you choose to give your energies to. Um, you don't have to be hopeless. There's too much work to do, there's too many next steps to take. So, uh, this funky, strange thing called the Robcast started because <laughs> I was in a place that I was seriously spinning, like, whoa. The, did not see this coming. I don't know whether it was just, I thought I was going to be doing this and then that all fell apart. I don't know if it probably at some level, it was just the personal sting of feeling like somebody didn't believe in me, <laughs> all that stuff. Um, I don't know if it was just the terror of, uh, you got to you got to keep working. Um, whatever that is, I got out of mic and started talking. And uh, turns out there were a number of you on the other end of this internet machine who started listening. So thank you at some level. Thank you. Um, if in any way the this Robcast has meant something to you, just please understand that it's come back to me a thousand times over. It's been such a gift. I tell that to people all the time. I've been like, man, that... That podcast, I'm sorry, Robcast. What a gift to me. What a gift. And of course, now I even have a nicer microphone. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. At some point, we even upgraded. You can only go punk rock for so long, and you're like, okay, now it's time to actually get get an adult microphone. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like get a big boy microphone that actually works well. Uh, But, man... What a gift. So, my brothers and sisters, whatever it is for you in your life, in your work, whatever your next step is, my prayer for you uh, is that you do not experience hopelessness, because there's always another step to take. My hope and prayer for you is that you're listening to whatever that whisper or shout or nudge or desire or anger or intuitive leaning is and that you listen to it and you follow it um, because that's that's how the whole thing works and may grace and peace be with you this is your friend rob signing off on the 200th episode of the robcast